you don't stop your complaining, I'm going to turn this Borg cube around and go home because it's V'ger, please. A hateful voice the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your Talaxian pool shark, Peter. <laughs> and, uh, Peter, what episode of Voyager did we review this week? Season 6, episode 16, Collective. I don't know if I'm in a bad mood about this episode because I'm presently on my forced march on the way through uh, Lower Decks in preparation for our Patreon episode about that. Here's a preview. Fuck you for that. But I could not give two shits about what I watched. I really tried to. I think there's like two scenes worth talking about here. Do you remember the first time you saw this? I don't remember. I mean, I remember seeing it. Everything was familiar, but I don't have a clear memory of when I originally saw it, to be honest with you. It's pretty cool that uh, where we're at right now in their release schedule, it's it's, you know, 20. This came out the 16th of February 2000, and it's uh, February 25th, 2021 today. Like, that's the proximity of these. I got to say, all things considered for being a Voyager Borg episode, I did not hate this thing. And I think I'm going to end up with a uh, generally more positive outlook on it than what I'm getting off of you right now. You know, I don't want to say this is terrible because it wasn't terrible. We've seen terrible. We've seen terrible recently. Mm. We are soon to see terrible again. But there's a difference, I think, between it being actively bad and harmful to sentient life, which it isn't, and genuinely good and enjoyable, which I also think it fails at. There is the forced attempt at sentimentality, of course, that this is introducing in regards to Seven of Nine specifically. They do eventually dial this in a little bit better as the show goes on. We'll hit those points when we get to those episodes, of course, because, you know, spoiler alert, brings a bunch of new supporting characters onto the show. A complaint that you've had, by the way, in the past. I will say that. Big one. And I want to talk about that further because um, it's that's. This is a big deal in my book. Are you giving it are you giving it a lighter touch because like it actually pays off the here's a bunch of new people who come onto the ship rather than having ejecting them in, through the airlock at the end never to be spoken of again. You know, I would have a lighter touch for those things if it wasn't a bunch of fucking child actors that they were bringing. So so let's just cut to that right now, right? Yeah, by the end we pick up what appears to be four new crew members i know that each hub at the least is going to be a big deal i don't know about the rest but i'm just like man all the opportunities that we have had to bring new cast members new crew members into the show and and this is where we're actually realizing that like i don't know there's again there's just been so many uh, i would much rather have seen more of the of the Equinox crew members. Equinox, Dr. Pell. I mean, just the list can go on and on of all the people that would have been phenomenal ads to act, to, to actively add to the background and to bring more. Could have had Amelia Earhart on the show. No, I will go ahead and hard pass on that. Now, Hightower, (laughs) I'm sorry, Tackleberry. Tackleberry. Yeah. God, if they would have made Tackleberry security (laughs) and had him pull a fucking Colt Python out on some Kazon. Just just drunkenly meandering into, into situations with his gun already out and waving it around. Here's the situation I need is the realization that Borg personal shielding does not stop 45 slugs <laughs> and tackle Barry just shooting Borg in the head with a big revolver. This is one of those episodes, like you were saying before, it, it's not 
actively harmful. And that's a big deal for for the Borg, right? Because the Borg have had some episodes that were not only relatively bad as far as uh, a piece of writing that turns into acting goes, but also actively destroyed the mythos uh, of, of the Borg product through Star Trek, right? War- watered them down and just made them into a fucking joke. And the same thing has happened to the Q. So uh, seeing them tell a Borg story without hurting the Borg and, and kind of growing the lore of the Borg, I think, is an accomplishment. And again, Voyager's got this already low bar. So when we can come out of episodes where I don't feel like my time was wasted and there's some cool background world building that comes as a part of it, I'm usually pretty happy. Uh, well, sp- speaking of Neelix as a pool shark, <laughs> so I you do, open up to the. Du- I'm sorry. I, I do love this opener. This opener is very, very nice. It is. It is a, one of those snapshots into life in space, doing space science things. Of here's some downtime, and how are we using it with these characters? That is uh, delightfully appropriate. You know. You got the Delta Flyer zipping along, and it's Harry and it's Chakotay, Tom, and Neelix. Um, which I'm kind of curious what the away team was doing because that was God. Was that the exact same away team that was just uh, involved in uh, the Vietnam War shenanigans? Exact same quartet. God, what would it take to get you back in the fucking Delta Flyer after having just gone through that? That that mental molestation. <laughs> hey guys, last time we went out together, we wound up having forced upon us a bunch of uh, memories of slaughtering innocent people. So uh, what do we got on deck next? And that's after the showers broke and we had to smell what Talaxian ball taint gets to be like in closed quarters. What I, what is I, I, what's I will, the mission I, profile that that <laughs> brings these people together? I don't. I, I mean, that's actually like you know one of the good gags from watching uh, um, Lower Decks. When when the show's funny, uh, it's that Don't they spoil. hit... Don't spoil. Listen, these people might not be paying for our Patreon. I know, I know, but it it, it, it it relates, though, right? Like, the good gags on that show are the ones that, like, make fun of, for example, the strange, like, nonchalant way in which all of these Starfleet people deal with these awful circumstances that continually assault them, right? Like... Mm-hmm. That's the sort of thing that actually is fu- is funny in the context specifically of Star Trek as a Star Trek fan. So like, yeah, like, yeah, they all had this traumatic experience together, but whatever. That was last. That was last pay period. This is the next pay period. They got to get out there again. Those Starfleet gold pressed latinum checks don't write themselves. And speaking of money, they're they're playing for some. I don't know. They look like gold pressed latinum chips to me, but I'm sure it's just poker chips. They're playing. And again, we know the Delta Flyer has like a Winnebago worth of cool shit in the back, but they're playing up in the cockpit and they're playing poker. Uh, and Neelix just does not seem to know his fucking his head from his ass as far as this goes. And instantly, this is one of those classic situations. And I'll always give uh, credit to the writers when they do it, where they create a situation that like my nerd cackles get, get, get risen up. Right. And I'm like, no, this is wrong for a B C and Oh, they played me. That's not Neelix not knowing anything about poker. That's that's New Jack Neelix card shark. Because <laughs> that's the first thing in my notes. It says, like, New Jack Neelix can't gamble. Fucking please. Like, this dude 
Neelix used to be like rated R once upon a time before he met Voyager, right? Right. That was the whole point of the uh, the episode that was his back dirty backstory that we loved. One of our favorites ever was that he was a fucking drug dealer doing dirty <laughs> shit like he was like like explicitly. And he gets visited by his dark past and he like has to confront like that. He was raided our new Jack Neelix before he met this cult, this this warm, fuzzy federation that embraced him. And yeah, you get a little bit of that here where he's acting like he doesn't know what fuck he's doing and then just like tries to cold like fucking steal on his coworkers. And they're kind of going around the circle of everybody like, oh, Neelix, he got me. And you get this great look out of Tom Paris. Uh, who's looking like he just saw a ghost and they pan over and you're like, oh, that's why they're playing cards in the cockpit is you needed the shot to pay off. And they turn around, and they show out the window <laughs> and there's a motherfucking board cube. And instantly I'm like, now, how's the Delta Flyer computer going to do these guys dirty like that? How are you just going to let a fucking board cube creep up on you without even so much as a as a as a text message chirp? So here was what was going to be the low point, one of the low points for the episodes for me, but just like Neelix playing these guys with his card shark antics. It makes sense. You know, once upon a time, one Borg was more than the Federation flagship could match, right? One Borg was more than most of the Federation's newest ships could match in a pitched battle, Sector 001. Like, it was like all of their latest tech, and they like still lost half their dudes blowing it up. And only to say, nothing, to say nothing of Wolf 359. Right. So to watch an entire Borg cube flummoxed by the Delta Flyer, <laughs> uh, you know, we get some what I'm sure was very expensive CG of the Delta Flyer zip zopping around close to the hull of the Borg in a very uh, Death Star X-Wing trench run scene. Um, but we find out that the, the cube's not playing with a full deck itself. It's a little sluggish. Uh, there's some real nonsense going on. The Delta Flyer lands a few good shots before ultimately getting tractor beamed and sucked in. We, you know, we've got no B plot in this episode. In fact, we've gotten a lot, long way, I think, from kind of the A plot, B plot structure for the most part in the show. We've really stuck to single episode storylines for the most part. And so when we cut back to Voyager, it's we're on the same thread here. Like the, the board cube is approaching. Hold on a sec. Why do you think that is? Do you think Voyager's better for the, the change? You know, this is an excellent point. It would be interesting to go back and see if we can actually find a spot where this change actually occurred. There's certainly been no mention of it in memory alpha, which for all intents and purposes is worthless these days. I wonder if that's, part of them trying to make the show more accessible to first time viewers. And maybe usually the B plot was more rewarding towards longtime viewers. So they they're cutting it to make it more streamlined. I don't know. I will. I'm, I'm looking through season six. I can't see a single a plot B plot episode, not a one Equinox part two. Uh, I guess, I guess you could say maybe that might be the only one. Cause there's more than one storyline happening about the same plot. But it almost doesn't feel like that that necessarily works. It's just like, here's where some characters are on this part of the ship. And here's, you know, it's not different plot lines. Well, we've long since mentioned that season six really threw a lot of the progress that season four and five made as far as being self-referential and building a cohesive overall story arc uh, out. So if their goal was to make the show 
more accessible and kind of reset that that syndication status, that easy access syndication thing, then it would make sense that they start cutting the the split plots and just double down on whatever the point's supposed to be. I think you're on to something. I think your 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 rationale here is correct. You make the show more streamlined internally and you make each episode just a, a morsel to be devoured where you're not really having to track multiple things. You're tracking a single storyline straight through. Uh, it makes it easy for someone to pick up and watch, particularly if, and I think this was probably the mindset at the time because there's, there had been at this point a huge drop off in the amount of viewership that they had, like half to a third, as much as they had in, in season two. Um, that you know they're looking for people who probably already were semi-familiar or mostly familiar with Trek or Voyager overall to just come back. That would have been a success, right? Like mm-hmm. get someone who already kind of knows what the show is about to come back and start watching episodes. And so I don't have to do too much explaining, but I also don't want you to have to feel like you have to get caught up. So here, you know. Here. So essentially we're saying that the goal of season six was to dumb the show down. Man, it's just, it's depressing to put it that way, but I can't say you're wrong for putting it that way anyway speaking speaking (laughs) of dumbed down this this borg cube shows up to voyager and starts like clumsily shooting before before we 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 get to that dumb cube that was a great segue it was a great segue but come on speaking of dumbed down balana on the bridge oh god where where's half the fucking bridge crew at and then balana drops this line like Captain, I found another vessel, blah, 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 Borg cube. And it's like, what? How is that not the first? Like, that should have been like, Cap- Borg, Borg cube, Borg, Borg, Borg. Hey, Captain, we're having chili tonight in, in, the, in the mess hall. Uh, we had There's more fruit had to, flies on the EPS power conduit. We had to My bring birthdays the, we, in two weeks. We had to bring the 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 cum zamboni through the the holodeck again because some people got a little wild in Fairhaven. Mm. Um, there's a board cube in Sector Two Two Six, and more importantly, <laughs> that carpet rip on uh, the whole you know hallway thirteen on deck six. We got that fixed. So, but yeah, board cube. <sighs> <Below. laughs> this is why she's not cut out for the big chair yeah i know right we were talking last week like well, why don't we have more uh Bolana in, in in command it's because she just does not prioritize <laughs> so i want to say the last time the uh, voyager went toe-to-toe with a cube they were getting um power leveled by that stupid ninja turtle future hypertech drone from yeah. one yeah yeah beginning of season five and they tricked the tactical sphere into going into like a binary star and getting crushed or whatever. This time it's just regular old Voyager with regular old photon torpedoes going up against an entire goddamn cube by itself. And I know what you're saying. Hey, these cubes, they're no big deal, right? The space Mewtwo's species 8472, they used to one shot these guys all the time. Now, this time, though, when this board cube gets clowned, it's actually a plot point. <laughs> the attack is erratic uh they're attacking different subsystems and seven of nine who's on the bridge uh points this out like this is weird and this is not something the board usually do and then uh tuvok like cuts in with almost like a pithy like response of like yeah they're not attacking us anymore because i just like actually like destroyed their weapons somehow 
Um, I, the, that was way too easy. <laughs> like, like uh, the, <laughs> what? the balls on Janeway to even entertain the idea of going toe to toe with a fucking cube, especially after the shenanigans that that uh, Voyagers pulled against the Borg. The whole thing works for me. I I really appreciate Seven's insight. There's a lot of good synergy here, story wise. The cube itself, and they don't really say it uh, by the description on the bridge, but this thing looks beat the fuck up. It looks like it got thrown out the window on the highway doing 80 something miles an hour and just oh, yeah. been chilling out, getting dinged by semis and, and peed on by animals. Visually, they pulled it off in the effects. There's just no dialogue about how fucked up it is. Yeah, this thing needs to comb its hair. It's just it's a mess. And eventually they kind of neutralize the threat the Borg are posing. So the Borg cube hails them and says, uh, you know, hey, let's make a deal. Yeah, they they it's worth pointing out that the only reason Voyager is really involving themselves in this fight is that they get signals that there are non assimilated. There's a non assimilated Talaxian and other non assimilated people on the cube. And they have quickly put together that this is what's happened to the flyer. The flyer is in there. And so this is all having to do with trying to save the flyer crew, right? Like that they get tipped off to that before the negotiation happens This is why they're even interested. Now there's a scene before Voyager even gets a chance to show up where the abducted Delta flyer crew members wake up in assimilation chambers and they are not strapped to the wall and there's not tubes and everything going through the nose. They're just hanging out in a cell and you see a pretty gnarly looking corpse, um, poorly assimilated, and that's what really starts painting the picture that something's very wrong here and that this is not your standard cube. Uh, Harry Kem is specifically absent because he got knocked the fuck out in a Jeffrey's tube. Yeah, he's too busy being concussed <laughs> presently uh, and that apparently the Borg did not locate him. Another uh, clue that things are fucky because or maybe not... they just like this guy's not worth our fucking time. Let him out in the hallway. Yeah, he's like he's like uh, a Kazon, right? Like, no, we, <laughs> we don't need any Asians. Listen, there's only five. We're of us already right good now. at math. <laughs> there's only five of us. And if we assimilate this whiny dude, it's going to make all of us more whiny. We got to be like real careful what we're muddy in the pool with right now. I don't need to think about how my hair looked 25 years later. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meta joke. It's <laughs> a, a good one. So uh, they decide, hey, we're going to play the hostage game, which this is all way off the board playbook. Right. And I like it. Uh, they're not really hurting the established Borg genre. Uh, the conditions of what's going on in there are absurd enough that all of this erratic behavior uh, will end up working perfectly and, and leading to some pretty enjoyable um, situations. So they send over. This world's smartest, I'm sorry, the universe's most smartest human being, Seven of Nine, which would normally be something I would criticize for recklessly endangering her, but she is your subject material expert. Yeah, in this case, it is exactly the person you would send over there. And uh, she starts walking around the place and finds a bunch of dead drones all over the place. It's worth pointing out that the thing that the Borg are ostensibly uh, negotiating for is Voyager's navigational deflector. 
which if you are not the deep, deep, deep Trek nerd, it's the big blue thing in front of every fucking starship. And it is explained many times in, in shows and canon that that's basically your windshield when you're at warp <laughs> so that you are warping and then you hit like a piece of space dust and it doesn't like tear through your ship and kill you. So it is very important piece of technology. You cannot go to warp without it unless you just all want to die and uh so them asking for that like to vox like uh we obviously cannot give that to them and the supposition that seven of nine makes is that they want it because they want to recontact the board collective that they've been separated from them in some way and that's an established thing right um the that's the navig- uh, first contact that's what they're yeah. trying to do with the navi- the navigational deflector on on uh in the first contact when Worf and hawk go out there and assimilate this that whole thing like that's that's where that happens so we got our two spacesuits from thank you very yes. much um story by andrew shepherd price and mark gaberman teleplay by michael taylor directed by allison liddy i mean michael taylor's the only real name jumping out at me here but uh there's there's a lot of good continuity tracking um and this this is a, a nice example of that so seven goes over there she sees a bunch of dead uh drones and as she's mucking about she runs across some half clothed children there are five of them three are clearly like children children uh two you know according to the guy who plays Icheb, whose name i can not possibly pronounce accurately uh you know they were supposed to get, they were supposed to read as teenagers uh adolescents and I know that the guy who played Egypt was already like in his early 20s at the time he was playing this role. Um, but they're they're supposed to, I guess, be 15 ish. I would not three. have pegged him for that old. So the makeup or whatever worked there, I suppose. I got to say um, the most important and the most lines of this little group of children Borg is the one that's going to be called first. And I would have bet all my chips that this is the guy who turns out to be Echeb. When uh, first does not end up surviving this encounter and dies on the floor. I was genuinely surprised because uh, he is quite the, the, the little punk bitch. Yes. And what was the episode with, um, with the quartet, with the, with the Borg trio coming back? after seven and nine so they could break their psychic link oh yeah the no social distancing episode um survival instinct yeah so i was getting real heavy vibes through this entire episode because the the younger kids seem kind of like they were trying to reestablish their individuality uh they kind of start bonding and taking after seven of nine she starts giving them some options and it's this this drone, this child drone who's designated as first, that's like, no, uh, you know, stop accessing your old memories, stick to the plan. We're going to reconnect with the Borg. And he's basically reading directly out of Seven of Nine's playbook when she was the drone boss on whatever that planet was in Survival right. Instinct. So I really thought that there was going to be this moment where she was like, listen, I've been in your shoes. I understand the difficulty, you know, blah, blah, blah. Redemption Especially because it was it was this season that that happened. Right. Seems a clear opportunity to really return to that plot line specifically. 
But, and and where it falls apart from me is that they just fucking don't. Yeah, I mean, right? it's like, Voyager. It it's season six Voyager. It can't recognize its own past. Uh, but this there's guy's even, like... There's even a scene... I, I, yeah, I'm sorry I keep cutting you no, off. No, go I for know, it. Because this is the shit that bothered me about it, right? This is why I don't like it. It is that there's this big door that opens up for Seven of Nine's continued character growth. Something that I have lauded over the last couple of weeks. That I feel like they've really done a good job of starting to really like dial in to her character growth and making her very compelling and very interesting when she's on screen rather than board you know barbie mary sue you know sci-fi space queen right like they've done so much better with her this season specifically it's like the only thing that i think they've done correctly and it's like you said here's a whole bunch of borg that are in the same situation she was disconnected same situation she was where she lacked the adult emotional coping mechanisms right to deal with the separation that was the whole point of the survival instincts episode was she was assimilated as a kid she never was an adult and so when she got disconnected she suddenly didn't have that emotional reserve to reassert itself to cope with that separation the same way the other four did right where they're like their individuality their personalities as adults were coming back and she her personality is coming back but her personality was as a scared kid Right. And that is that's what happened is she she seized on that and then did something that she later came to regret. Right. And here's this door that seems to just be perfect for exactly what you're talking about of her saying, I've been here. I know exactly where you're at. I know exactly the problems that you're facing right now. And instead of actually following through on that plot line that seems so naturally handed to it. Instead, there's this scene where she's talking about with with. Janeway later on in astrometrics of like, well, you know, I was better prepared for, you know, reasserting my humanity than these children are because I had this reserve built up from my, you know, time as a Borg to find serenity and all that stuff, which runs completely counter to what we have literally learned about her character weeks ago in this season about what this experience did to her and how she's, she's matured. Like, the car is going down the road at six miles an hour and then it just like hits a pothole and then flies on a billboard and it's in space. I'm just like, what did you do here? Like, this makes no sense. It's impossible to watch this episode and not think it wasn't built entirely on the framework of survival instinct. Because to follow that plot point the rest of the way, her knee jerk reaction as a scared child Borg leader was to cling blindly to the rules to the yes. point where she took three people irreparably damaged them and damned them to to uh, a hell right the shared consciousness hell and the only way to fix it was to give them each a 30-day expiration date until they died and to watch first again blindly cling to the rules and begin steering the entire group towards certain destruction like come on man that it's perfect. It's perfect for that emotional moment for her to say, "You, I know this is what happened to me. This is what I did. I'm trying to, I, as a parent, I'm going to be a parent. I'm going to try and help you, a child in, my, in a similar circumstance, and not make the same mistakes I did. Like, it's just handed to them on a silver platter, and instead it's not followed through on at all. Instead, it's Seven of Nine going in there and trying to push them around and 
give him options and kind of bonding. And there's this forced sentimentality and emotional connection that does not make sense with what they've built. And that, and is this episode harmful to my sanity? No, but it's another example of Voyager kicking itself in the dick and not living up to its, its potential by staring in the face the the connections in, in the continuity that they've attempted to build with these characters and then going nowhere with it. It's fucking Bolana syndrome all over again. It's, mm. it's Tom, it's Tom Paris being the same dick he was in season one and season two, even though there's a million reasons he shouldn't be anymore. Like it's Harry Kim being a whiny, ineffective idiot here again in this, in this episode, you know, like, Oh, this is a scary board coop. I'm scared to fuck. I'm going through this. There might be a spoopy skeleton that pops out. I'm gonna leave playing cards as a hint of where the fuck I'm going in here. Like, I, I hate it. Let me counter all that. Okay. <laughs> that Borg baby was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the scene with the Borg baby? I think that's like the the other like the good thing about this episode i have is... never been so repulsed and so enthralled at the same time it's something i saw in star trek like i it had to be a puppet right i think it was again yeah, like memory it... alpha completely yeah. fucking worthless how do you have a, a baby with borg shit all over it and not even any mention of it whatsoever and it's in this uh i don't know this this ecto cooler jug on the wall with some bubbles and you're like god these these fucking borg are assimilating like was that ripped out of a pregnant woman was that born in in vitro is that the right word for vitro is that no vitro is when they implant an egg in a host I, whatever the fuck sci, sci, sci-fi monster baby sci-fi monster horror baby but it's a cute little baby and you're like oh and I, later I, the, the, the slickest part of it though is like okay they get the the baby the baby's like oh we got to get the baby out of this the board you know death chamber aquarium so they, yeah so it can be sent to voyager and and be helped by the doctor and it's and the the plot thread that's being followed through here is that they they find out seven of nine figures out what happened to the board cube finds out all the board died of some virus on this ship they're all fucking dead the only ones that survived were the ones that were in the maturation chambers so it was these kids and the borg know that this is what happened to them and they're not coming <laughs> right like they're like fuck that we are we've learned our lesson about fucking bullshit biological nonsense tries to infect the collective y'all are on your own and Janeway wants the actual like anti-Borg disease redeveloped by the doctor as an option to kill these Borg kids if necessary to rescue the uh, the away team because they're still Borg. They're still connected to the ship. They basically can still just kill everyone whenever they want. And they're and, erratic. Yeah. And they've like, as, as Tuvok very coldly points out, these children have committed murder. <laughs> like we, we have seen the corpses of the murders they've committed, you know, like we must be prepared to terminate them if necessary. And the, the doctor obviously does not want to do this. Cause like, but they're kids. I don't want to kill kids. And so he very slickly like has Janeway come down to the sick bay and is like, Oh yeah, there's a Borg baby. So seven of nine had the Borg baby beamed over. So I could say, I saved the baby. Hey, Kathy, can you hold the baby real quick while I scan it? Just completely unnecessarily. Can you just like 
just have it in your arms and look into its eyes real quick. Okay, I'm going to scan it. By the way, I finished your bioweb. Are you sure you want it? <laughs> like it's it's very slick. <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking gas those kids. I don't fucking yeah. care. Here's your baby. <laughs> I thought that was actually a cool scene. Of- it was a very cool scene. And it was, it's a cool, if you break that scene down conceptually, the helpless infant that has been corrupted by this awful marriage of flesh and technology Borg assimilation. That sole protector is now a holographic AI person trying to defend it from the cold hearted human cap. And like, there's so many moving parts to that. And I think it's, it's, it's a neat statement. It's not something you see in sci-fi often, or at least on star Trek, uh, you know, who, Who's the real human there out of those three individuals? And like Janeway being prepared to like use whatever options necessary to defeat the Borg because of their status as the ultimate supervillain is the kind oh. of attitude are, we would expect. They? Well, absent everything else that's happened on Voyager, right? Like separate. <laughs> no, seriously. Like if, if take this one in the blind, right? Mm-hmm. You would expect Janeway to be like, I mean, do I want to kill a bunch of kids? No. Will I? Because they're born children who will murder us? Yes. Like, yeah, I get it. Okay. I, I I vibe on that energy. I like that. And that's why I like the scene because it says so much about the doctor who's compassionate and not above manipulating people <laughs> to try and get his way. And then Janeway, who's like, I see what you're doing. Here's your baby back. Now give me my fucking bioweapon because I might need it. I'm going to try not to. But uh, you're not talking me out of this with some no fucking baby bullshit. Oh, uh, so, interesting note. The baby survives the episode. And the only thing on the memory alpha that was interesting was like, yeah, so in canon, the baby's like race was found and they deliver the baby back. But you never see it on screen. Like one of the kids or a couple of the kids were the same race as uh, the rock from. Space blood sport. I still can't pronounce that word. Sakanati. Because they were the Pindari was the rocks. I don't think they were necessarily Pindari. One of them is Pindari, for sure. Let's see here. It's not Icheb. And there's Nor. Yeah, two of them are Nordicans, and one's Wysanti. So yeah, none of them are Pindari. I would have sworn. Hmm. You know, they already know where they live. <laughs> like I'm just taking them back. Like, please don't have this child fight to the death. <laughs> <laughs> BT dubs. So these kids got lots of attitude. Uh, they also have a lot of color. It's it's interesting to see them without the pale cake white makeup of the Borg. Um, their uh, their previous lives are starting to bleed through again. Shades of survival instinct. Um, some of them can remember the color of their mother's hair and this other stuff. Uh, Harry Kim wakes up in the Delta Flyer. He starts talking to Voyager in secret and uh, they've got this plan hey, you're close to this shield generator, and if you can knock the shield generator out, we can beam everybody out of there and get the fuck out. So you get that scene with Harry Kim talking to Tuvok, crawling through the bowels of the Borg ship, and, uh, oh, I'm I'm scared. And then Tuvok's like, have you had bad experiences on a cube? And it's like, have you not seen the previous couple seasons where, like, Species 8472... <laughs> melted his face and he should have died but they got rid of jennifer lean for whatever fucking reason like yeah, like instead I, he 
this is the shit that I can't stand, right? Like, it, one of two things should have happened here. Tuvok should have been understanding of all the terrible experiences that Harry Kim has had and and had some, like, encouragement of him. And then this, or the other thing should have been like, and this is what should have happened, is that Harry Kim's like, I have been through worse. <laughs> like, I've died. I've had a species 8472 cancer. Like, I've had terrible things happen to me in these cubes. You I know got what? stuck in virtual hell with a space juggalo. Yeah, like, this is fine. I'm fine right now. I've got it. I'm a veteran of space. Instead, it's it's him just being a whiny bitch, which is just such the fucking standard for him now. And like you said, the playing cards, uh, you know, jelly bean trail he leads behind brings the little crazy girl to him and then he gets captured or children of the corn. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they have the assimilation uh, nano tubes, right? Like they they didn't assimilate anybody because I thought that's how assimilation works. It was like first you get jabbed in the neck and the Borg pixie dust enters your bloodstream and starts to assimilate you from the inside out uh they did not do that to any of the delta flyer crew members when they brought them to the assimilation chamber but when harry kim gets captured he's got some pretty cool techno wounds on his face from where he got um juiced up i think they always had them it's just that they didn't know how to successfully assimilate anyone so they were just killing them that seemed to be that's what i took from it we begin this this kind of final sequence where the stakes get raised. Janeway has successfully bluffed them a few times to try and buy time for this Harry Kim uh, escape option, but uh, you know time has run out. The kid first, uh, who has been the very argumentative, uh, very headstrong leader of the what remains of the collective on this ship, slaps a tractor beam on Voyager's deflector and starts trying to just rip it out of there, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Voyager uses the main deflector dish to basically send a blast up the tractor beam back at the cube, which creates a feedback and the cube starts blowing up. Um, It's during this exchange that seven of nine kind of plays her trump card, which is, Hey, there's no point in calling the collective uh, the Borg already know that you're out here and you need help. And the Borg have actively decided that you are not worth picking up. It's curious that you're identifying them as basically uh, toxic waste that the Borg know that they're sick and they don't want to risk further infection. Uh, I just assume that they're like, all right, everybody who matters is dead. It's too far away. It's not worth the resources to go pick up five stupid kids. But my bigger question in all of this is if the Borg are able to have any sort of communication with this thing, or at least know there's a whole, there's a whole cube. And again, cubes are big fucking deals. You wouldn't know that by watching Star Trek Voyager. Right. But by most other accounts, one cube is a, is a, uh, a genocide machine that erases entire species uh, from the, the, the history of, of the universe. Like they're not going to send out a self-destruct impulse or they're not going to send another cube to just go and nuke that thing so the technology doesn't spread into the wrong hands because the borg don't really necessarily care about that sort of thing the same way someone else would because they're they're inev- their whole inevitability complex right like oh we're just going to come through and assimilate these bitches anyway so who cares right like they no, get a little fucking taste like, that's the whole thing like 
for a while there was a plot thread that they wanted to get their hands on uh, trans warp coils to try and like get home faster. But that was the problem was anytime Borg technology might be co-opted, it always like a uh, disintegrate or blow up or whatever. Maybe that's why the Borg don't care because then it's all, it's all got fail safes on it. So it's like it's a booby trap. And that also now that I'm saying that would have been a nice thing for them to say, hey, listen, maybe we can harvest some cool shit off this cube because that's been <laughs> a major plot point in the past. But whatevs. I feel like they covered that enough to know that, like, oh, we can't actually do this. I get it. Seven of Nine has been spending most of her screen time, unfortunately, like trying to forge emotional bonds with these kids, which is just not probably the right approach to take here with her character. She's just not emotive, right? Like, and she's not digging deep on her own personal experiences the way that we uh, have already bemoaned. So not much to write home about there, but clearly she makes the strongest connection with the second, who is Ichib. And that allows him to assert himself over the first and gets all of the other kids on her side. Uh, the first uh, conveniently gets a taste of, uh, you know, a console IED, except <laughs> the Borg version, and therefore dies a dramatic death, uh, therefore not necessitating anyone to murder any of these kids. Uh, but the end result is the same. The board cube's going to blow and they beam everybody off. Harry is saved once again from a terrible experience on a board cube from not dying. Uh, and, you know, the, the consequences are that uh, Seven of Nine has a bunch of board children she has to take care of. Which gave me some real shades. Uh, okay, so you're finally bringing new crew members on the ship. They're all Borg and they're all put under the directive of the other Borg you already had. And I just went back to living witness and the, the what if scenario, what if Voyager really was an evil warship that had enslaved Borg and now had Borg attack dogs that they would randomly feed uh, rebels and, and dissidents to at uh, Janeway's command. And I was like, Hmm, we're now going we that direction. This might, <laughs> this might be really cool. I just like the idea that next time you see them, they're all like dressed in black and they're like the nin like the, the ninja squad that mm -hmm. you deploy mm -hmm. with their personal shields and their assimilation tubules. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they all are on the show for a while. E ship is the one that that obviously winds up being the standout semi. I would say he's actually a recurring character from this point forward. He's actually got a couple episodes that are primarily focused on him. So how do they handle him? I mean, because by the end of this, he's very agreeable and I mean, the, the the guy first, the pain in the ass drone was like such a spitting image of everything you had seen out of Seven of Nine that to, to pass on that antagonistic self-realization that Seven would have to like another bridge of personal growth and like, I need to pull this kid off the, the course he's on and in the process recognize I still have so many other ways to do that, to hand him like, the soft-spoken nice kid seems like a real miss. I like Ichab. I like his, like what they do with his character after they kind of like start writing for him specifically. But uh, yeah, there's all this potential left on the table for what ended up being a really thin episode, you know, instead of a deep one. Uh, interesting backstory about the Borg that they, you know, they take juveniles and they assimilate them and mature them into adults kind of already knew they did that because of seven and nine, you know, interesting idea of that. They abandon a, a cube because it was biologically infected. Uh, cool doctor Janeway scene. 
other than that, it's just kind of wasted, wasted opportunity. Well, it's certainly not the the biggest villain of season six we've seen. And at the end of the day, I'll take an okay world builder episode. And again, this is this is a fun way to tell a story without hurting the story and to take things in some new directions to see Voyager face off against a cube realistically. And um, I'm going to have to ultimately agree with you, though, that there was there was so much more like epically more potential here that they just chose not to approach at all. And I'm so curious why it's impossible to watch. It's like saying like, oh, hey, um, the Force Awakens was completely written in a vacuum and the person who saw it had never seen uh, A New Hope. Because it's that's basically this man. It's a it's the last plot over again, but they miss these beats. Yeah, I'm very interested in this uh, this Borg T virus, this Borg AIDS that they have now successfully uh, developed. If if you thought whatever the hell species eight four seven two had to be afraid of, just wait till you see this thing. Like, does this crazy super virus ever rear its head again? I'm I'm actually happy to tell you for once that it does. That I know is, you're fucking shocked. You're wow. shocked because <laughs> they don't mention this thing at all, and it's like, yeah. You know, part of me is like, uh, what was the episode? Th- that what? that plot point is the most enduring part of this episode, maybe. Believe it or not, um, what was the episode where it was? Uh, it was the multiple personality disorder, um seven of nine going crazy and biting balana remember and then the tron turds were like hey we made this sweet ass bioweapon and it's gonna fucking wreck the collective just janeway keep your fucking hands yeah it was gave her, like multiple personality disorder and it's the one where she was like a ferengi and everything else i like that episode for jerry ryan having to like fucking do all yeah. that shit is that this virus potentially i mean that no, was no. also it's a different one <laughs> it's a very different one it's not the tron turds this is a different like multiple species in the Delta Quadrant had the same excellent idea. Total eradication of the Borg via bioweapon. <laughs> desperate times, desperate measures, man. So, yeah, yeah, that that, that actually has a, probably one of the better. I, I forget if it's this season. I think it is actually uh, probably the best episode of this season has to has to come do with that. If oh, presuming well, if I'm remembering that correctly, clearly that's going to be season six, episode 17, Spirit Folk. Why don't you tell us what that one's about? Uh, that's about me putting out a very special opportunity for a member of the Vija Police Trauma Support Group to replace me in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> to fill in as a special co-host so I don't have to watch this. Should I should I contact Taryn to see if he'll just do fifteen minute monologue <laughs> just to drown out? No, because I have to punish my wife by making her sit through this fucking thing with me. There we I go. I see. I see Janeway. That's the hateful spirit. I see Janeway in her stupid outfit with a stupid smile on her face with stupid Michael, whatever the hell his name is, the 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 Mick bartender. <laughs> the Mick bartender. <laughs> And that's that's like uppercase M, lowercase C, like McDonald's, not like yeah, the racial nice, slur bartender. Nice cover, nice cover, dude. Revisiting the, ho- unfortunately, revisiting the holographic town of Fairhaven. 
Voyager wastes another episode on things that nobody cares about, <laughs> while cool plots lurk in the shadows, never to be discussed. Uh, revisiting the holographic town of Fairhaven proves dangerous for Paris and Kim, as program characters see Voyager crew members altering their program elements. Wasn't that the whole fucking point of the first Fairhaven episode was just leave these people? I don't know, man. They're, they're, I can't be as bad as the first Fairhaven, right? Peter, you know what this episode is about? It's that they had access to these sets for another day. <laughs> <laughs> they already had the costumes made. They already paid the guest stars. They were already there. <laughs> you know what? Is jump Let's to conclusion do- there? Oh, oh, you know it, bro. All right. Well, all of all of the greatest hits from Fairhaven make a right. reappearance because I do love jump to conclusions, guy. Yeah, we're going to handle this one on our own. We appreciated the Australian assistance on the first go, but I think I'm, I'm I have a specific seventh season episode before we close things out that I'm going to call them in on. So we're going to have to we're going to have to go through this on our own, man. I'm sorry. Uh Whatever. This is my revenge for the fact that it was your idea to fucking review Lower Decks. I'm looking forward to discussing that with you. In the I am looking. F- I'm looking forward to discussing it. I think it's going to be a different. It's going to be a different kind of discussion because here's a major like, tease for the people out there. Like I, going through and rewatching these, um, the I'm I'm enjoying it much more the second time around, and uh, I'm going to be pro Lower Decks on this one. I think it's. Save you know, it. I, save I, it. I, I Get the money most, in the hand before you let them yeah, hear what you say. Yeah, I, I'm mostly going to save it. I will say, like, if you if this kind of discussion does interest you, there's a Patreon. It costs you like three bucks, and you can you can listen to this thing. I don't hate it at all. Like in this, I don't hate it the same way that I hate like actively hate Picard and actively hate Discovery. As like you are literally ruining Star Trek by your existence, you fast mile pieces of shit. Right? Like, I have actually like negative feelings towards each. I don't have a negative feelings towards um, lower decks because I feel like the people who made lower decks ultimately actually give a fuck about star Trek. And I think that where it doesn't work is an interesting discussion about comedy, which we'll get into like what makes something funny. What makes something work? Why does this not work as well as it should? And then second, uh, like what the difference between somebody understanding a property versus someone who does not mean when you produce something like a star trek show so i think those are the interesting lines and uh, yeah i'm looking forward to to talking about it with you too man and that's what we're in our chronology going to be doing next so if that interests you dear listener saddle up onto the patreon if this episode's not if the episode's not already out by the time this one hits it will be shortly so and until next week see ya